0: More than 15 years after 66 Garage was thrown from a pickup truck near the U.S.-Mexico border, we finally know his real name, Ignacio, born April 1980. I'm in Ed Kirkpatrick's office at the villa. He's just hung up the phone with Victor, the Mexican consulate official assigned to Garage's case. Ed tells Victor the DNA results are finally in, and it's a match. So then Ed and I walk through the maze of hallways to room 20. Ed leans over Garage's bed.
1: Ignacio. Ignacio.
0: Ed and I look for a sign, some spark of recognition, a movement in Garage's eyes. Garage just stares at Ed. Is he staring because he's reacting to his name or to Ed leaning over him? I'm not sure. Ed calls for Andy, Ignacio's nurse, because Andy speaks Spanish.
1: Llama Ignacio.
0: Garage looks at Andy, then me, then Ed. We go through a series of commands and questions, hoping for a reaction.
1: Si la mano si, si te, si te
0: Lift your left Ignacio. hand if your name is Ignacio.
1: Si los ojos dos veces para no.
0: Blink once, blink twice. Garage smiles, but I can't tell if that means he understands or that Ed, Andy, and I look ridiculous. Ed says his name again. Ignacio? Nothing. I don't know what I was expecting. I suppose I thought that once Garage heard his name, he would somehow come back to life. I'd become like the other families of the villa, the people I'd once written about. Like Steve, whose wife was in the motorcycle accident. He's always looking for signs of life in Raffaella. Is she squeezing his hand? Is she looking in his direction? Is she smiling at him? I had once described the families at the villa as being in a state of disbelief, their circumstances forcing them into magical thinking. At this point, how was I different? I'm Joanne Farian. This is Chapter 4 of Room 20, a new podcast from the L.A. Times Studios. It's about a man called 66 Garage who lay in a hospital bed for 15 years unidentified, and about how my search for his name and the circumstances that put him in a San Diego nursing home changed not just his life, but changed my life too. So first off, now that we know Garage's name, I'm going to stop calling him Garage and call him by his real name, Ignacio. I know his last name too, but I'm not going to reveal it because he's undocumented. So here's what I've learned so far about Ignacio. I know he was in an accident in the desert in June 1999. He was 19 years old, hiding in the back of a pickup truck after crossing into the United States. The pickup ran a stop sign and was hit by a car going 60 miles an hour on the highway. The truck flipped. Ignacio flew out of the bed of the truck and onto the pavement. He was taken to a hospital in San Diego, and that's where he was likely given the name 66 Garage. After nine months, when there was no chance he'd recover, ever walk or talk or regain consciousness, he was transferred to the villa. It seems simple enough, this story. But something still doesn't make sense. How did the California Highway Patrol know Ignacio was 19 if they didn't know his name? Was it a lucky guess? The accident report lists Ignacio's birthday as 0101 1980. It's typed, with a handwritten question mark beside it. According to the Border Patrol database, IDENT, the one where Ignacio's fingerprints were recorded, he was born three months later, in April of 1980. These two birth dates don't match. And now I'm convinced. There's something fishy about this, this whole age thing. Remember that other John Doe, the 30-year-old who died the day after the accident? He was identified soon after he died. I tracked down his autopsy report, and it has his name and his age. He really was 30. Another lucky guess? I've got to figure this out. I'm starting to believe that someone must have known that Garage's real name was Ignacio. They probably knew it on the day of the accident. Otherwise, how would his age have made it into the newspaper the next day? I'm so convinced... That I go back to Imperial County again and again with the accident report as my roadmap. The 16-page report describes in detail what happened in the crash. After the truck flips, some people are thrown out onto the road, into the fields. Some run, as many as six, according to the report. Four men are injured. Ignacio, the 30-year-old who was a John Doe in the newspaper clipping but died the next day and was later identified, and two other men with spinal injuries. Their names are in the report. Both are from Mexico. I try to find them. I even look into hiring a private eye. But the PI says he can't promise he'll find them either. That leaves me with two other names listed in the report, the two guys in the car that hit the pickup truck, the one driving the car, Abel Ramirez, 38 years old, and his passenger, 36 year old Gregorio Flores Mendez. Both are injured. Abel's left leg is cut, his seatbelt ripped in half on impact. But Abel doesn't go to the hospital. He tells police he'll get medical care on his own. Gregorio complains of pain in his chest and left leg and is taken to the hospital in an ambulance. The accident report lists the same phone number for both men. The number belongs to a farm in Brawley, about a 20-minute drive from the accident scene. I call the farm, and a woman named Barbara Jean answers. She doesn't really want to talk to me. I offer to send her a copy of one of my early stories about Ignacio. She tells me to fax it to her, and I do. But Barbara Jean doesn't call me back. In fact, no one at the farm wants to talk to me. Eventually, the guy who runs the farm, a man named Dan, speaks to me on the phone. And he's angry. Dan doesn't want to talk about the past, but he confirms that Abel used to work for him. Dan tells me that Abel has since died. Gregorio, though, he still works there. And Dan remembers the accident. He got a call because Abel and Gregorio were on their way to work on the farm that day. He drove out to the scene to check on them. He says the other guys, the guys in the pickup truck, were, as he put it, a bunch of illegals, I hear that a lot in Imperial County, the word illegals, to refer to undocumented migrants, many of whom work in the fields. Dan won't give me Gregorio's number, but he says he'll give Gregorio my message, that I'm trying to find him. I hang up. Pretty sure Gregorio will never get that message. Imperial County is farm country. Picture a grid of rural roads marking farmers' fields. Carrots, cauliflower, onions, lettuce, broccoli, corn. It's all grown here. Sometimes I see no one in the fields or just a lone tractor. But one time, I get lucky and see a field full of workers. The people who own the farm in Brawley won't let me on their property, but there's nothing stopping me from parking my car at the side of the road and waving down the men in the fields. A guy named Jorge is sitting in a truck not far from the road. I walk over and introduce myself. I show Magnacio's photo. I explain he's been in a hospital bed for 15 years because of an accident that happened not far from here, and that I'm searching for a man named Gregorio who might know what happened. As we talk, other men gather around the truck. Jorge speaks English, so he translates. No, Gregorio. He no. So no. Gregorio was in an accident, the same one he was in. So I want to ask Gregorio what he remembers about the accident. Gregorio,
1: he came con Gregorio pasó el accidente, pues si if saber si si lo conoce. Y también, Dice que este murió.
0: They tell me that if Gregorio is an older guy, which he is by now, he's about 50, he probably works in irrigation, on one of those giant sprinklers you sometimes see in the fields. Jorge doesn't work for the same farm owners, but he says he'll ask around, and we trade phone numbers. I go back to the accident report, and I find the name of the first responders. David Yaryan is listed as the photographer at the scene of the accident. I find his address. His wife Cindy is in the front yard watering plants. She calls for David in the house, and the three of us talk in the driveway. I ask David if he remembers the accident.
1: Uh, it 55 hours. Yeah, that'd have been about the time I was going to work back then yeah. to get the paperwork done.
0: Despite being listed on the accident report as a photographer, David says he's never taken a photo at an accident scene. But he might have been there that morning because the sheriff's department was often called for backup when there was a big crash on the highway. I tell David there's something I'm trying to clarify, how someone at the scene knew Ignacio's age, but not his name. I ask him, if there's an unconscious person at an accident scene, would you ever estimate an age, to put in your report? You You could give
1: an age, uh, you know, a broad spectrum, like 15 to 20, something like that, a young adult type thing, but I wouldn't narrow it down any more than that.
0: David says trying to guess the age of someone who's lying on a road, injured, and probably covered in blood is like trying to guess the age of an animal.
1: You can't put anything in a, on paper that you didn't see or you can testify as true. You don't want to put something in there and find out otherwise.
0: So why would they? how would they know he's 19?
1: Your guess is mine.
0: Anyone else you think I should talk to?
1: Most of the sheriff's deputies back then are gone or...
0: Well, who's the Highway Patrol officer? Uh, Heather Chase. Okay. So she lives not far from you. So now, I go find Heather. Heather Chase is listed as the officer who wrote the accident report. She isn't with the Highway Patrol anymore, but she still lives about 20 minutes from the accident scene. Her house is near the end of a cul-de-sac in a neighborhood full of Spanish-style tract houses. I knock on Heather's door several times over the course of a few weeks before I catch her at home. She agrees to talk to me, but asks me to turn off my recorder. Heather has short blonde hair. She's in her late 40s, but looks younger. She remembers a lot about the accident because it happened on June 10, 1999, her 31st birthday. Heather remembers getting the call and hoping it wasn't serious. She wanted to go home early to celebrate. When she saw the bodies on the ground, she says she felt guilty for thinking about herself first. She remembers the man lying on the center divide with a large gash on his head. She believes that was Ignacio. I show her what she wrote in her report that day, that Ignacio's birthday was 0101 01 1980. The date is typed, but there's a handwritten question mark beside it. What does that question mark mean, I ask. She says she doesn't know. How did she know he was 19? Heather says someone must have told her, so she wrote it down. She's certain she wouldn't have guessed an age. The day after the accident, she says she called the hospital where Ignacio was taken. She was surprised he was still alive and still unidentified. She was even more surprised by the name he'd been given, 66 Garage. Heather's never forgotten the man they called 66 Garage. She says about six months ago, all these years later, she was getting gas when she heard one of my early reports about Garage on the radio. According to medical records, 66 Garage was traveling in a van near El Centro when it crashed back in June 1999. And she thought, oh my God, he's still alive. I ask Heather one more question before I leave. It's a question that's been in the back of my mind since I got the accident report. Was the pickup truck carrying Ignacio Was it being chased by the Border Patrol? Heather says she doesn't remember.
2: Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your dreams? Sometimes small daily frustrations get in the way of my bigger picture goals. When that happens, it's always better to have someone to talk to. Now, BetterHelp is doing just that. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's just professional counseling done right and securely online. Once you create an account, you can log in anytime to send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. If you prefer video or phone chats, you can schedule those too. If you visit their website today, you can read their daily testimonials from real users. Many say how easy it was to build trust, even just over chat. If you'd like to join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health, then go to BetterHelp.com. And for Room 20 listeners, we have an additional special offer. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com Room 20. That's BetterHelp.com Room 20 for 10% off. I've spent many sleepless summer nights tossing and turning because my comforter was causing me to overheat. I tried many different brands and none seemed to work. Either they were too thin or they just didn't keep me cool. Now, with the Breeze from Buffy, all of that has changed. The Breeze actually regulates temperature, so I don't get any more night sweats. Plus, its plant-based eucalyptus fabric is softer than cotton and naturally soothes skin. It's even earth-friendly. Eucalyptus uses 10 times less water than cotton to grow and is produced using recyclable, earth-friendly solvents. So why not choose 100% plant-based bedding that's better for the environment? If you're interested in the Breeze, You can try it for free in your own bed. And if you don't love it, return it at no cost. And for Room 20 listeners, we have an additional special offer. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter the code ROOM20. That's Buffy.co with code ROOM20 for $20 off your comforter.
0: Again, I go back to the accident report. Who else could have guessed Ignacio's age? I contact the local paramedics, the office that would have responded to the 911 call. The dispatcher, an older woman, seems surprised that I'm asking about an unidentified migrant. There are so many, she says. Another guy tells me he has a desk full of ID cards. They fall out of pockets and into the back of his ambulance all the time. He tells me he would never guess someone's age in an emergency situation, but he might describe someone as a teenager or a young male. The report also names the woman, Maria, who made the 911 call, so I track her down too. Maria lives on Bowker Road, next door to Luis Viejas, the man I talked to months ago, about the stop sign at the intersection. Oh, no, there's another pit bull. Oh, my goodness. A pit bull in Maria's side yard sticks his head through the metal pickets of the fence. An older woman with salt and pepper hair answers the door, Maria but she doesn't speak English and I don't speak Spanish. Telephone? Okay. Okay, can I wait? Can I wait? I'm scared of the dog. Can I come in? Yeah. Maria gets her son on the phone while I wait at her dining room table. She tells him she doesn't remember making a 911 call. No. Another dead end and another mistake on the accident report. While I'm here, I go next door and say hello to Luis Viejas. And for the first time, I meet his daughter, Brenda. She remembers the accident.
3: I remember hearing the the cars crashing because you could hear it from my bedroom. It was early in the morning.
0: Brenda lives at home with her parents in the same bedroom where she was sleeping on June 10, 1999.
3: What I did is I opened up the blinds and all I saw was a, a pickup truck just on its side, and a bunch of people running, a bunch of people. And I was like, oh, that's all I remember. And then I heard the helicopters. And they were like around, you know, the, this area trying to find, find the people.
0: That would have been the Border Patrol helicopter.
3: And I thought, well, that was fast. You know, right after the accident, you know, usually the police and all them come like later, later.
0: She wonders how the border patrol knew about the accident so fast. How they got there even before the police. Brenda and Luis know I'm looking for witnesses from the crash, and Luis remembers something. Something he heard at church, from someone who knows someone.
3: He knows because there's a man that goes to our church that knows. Who Luis
0: says he was telling a friend about the accident. And that friend said he knew someone related to someone in the accident, a woman. According to this friend, this woman works at Big John's, a convenience store less than 10 minutes down the road. I get my car and head over. I'm going to speed up here and tell you it took me a few weeks to finally meet with a woman named Maria Flores, Gregorio's sister. Gregorio, one of the few guys living who was involved in the accident. Maria tells me Gregorio lives on the other side of the border, in Mexico, and commutes to work on the farm. Eventually, Maria sets up a meeting between me and Gregorio. She tells me to be at her house in El Centro one Monday afternoon in January 2016. It's winter in the desert, late afternoon. The sun's still high enough to light the sky in indigo blue. I park on a residential street lined with single-story homes. I'm nervous as I get out of my car, I often get nervous before a big interview. It was tough to find Gregorio, and I've built this moment up in my head. What if he doesn't remember anything? Maria answers her front door, her living room is dark, and there he is, Gregorio, sitting on the couch. He's fit, with a handsome face, weathered from a lifetime of working outdoors. Gregorio doesn't speak English, so his niece, Carolina, translates. So what do you remember from the accident on Evan Hughes Highway and Bowker Road? Oh, so tell me from the beginning. Back then, Gregorio carpooled to work with Abel, the man who was driving the car that day. They both lived in Mexico and routinely crossed the border to work. They were on the highway when Gregorio saw the pickup truck on Bowker Road. He says he could tell the pickup truck wasn't going to stop at the intersection. He says the driver was going fast, maybe 50 miles per hour. He could see the pickup wasn't going to stop, and then they hit it. I asked Gregorio, was anyone chasing the pickup?
3: Estaba,
0: La migración.
3: You border patrol?
0: Gregorio says he saw Border Patrol's flashing lights close behind the pickup when the accident happened. So it's true. The pickup carrying Ignacio sped through the stop sign because it was being chased by Border Patrol. Yet there's no mention of a chase in the newspaper story or the accident report. And and so you get hit and then what's the next thing you remember? Gregorio says he and Abel stayed in the car because they were in shock.
3: So they just sat there trying to like talk to each other, trying
1: to make sure.
3: The gentleman that was driving, um, the impact was so hard that his seatbelt busted, and then he broke his his toes on his foot.
0: And what did you see happen to the pickup truck? Gregorio saw people spill out of the back of the truck and run. He remembers two men who couldn't move, one lying on the pavement, the other in the dirt on the side of the road, both face down. According to the accident report, the man lying on the pavement was Ignacio. Gregorio says he assumed that the two men lying face down were already dead. They had blood
1: all around them.
0: Gregorio remembers that there was clothing strewn everywhere. He thinks the men in the back of the truck were hiding under suitcases. The ambulance took him and one of the unidentified men to the hospital. Gregorio says the man looked dead. Gregorio spent eight days in the hospital and was off work for a month. Abel, the driver, the one whose seatbelt torn to... Six months after the accident, Abel died from a blood clot. Gregorio believes it was from the impact of the crash. Gregorio still drives by that intersection, and each time, he says, he thinks of the accident. I hear a lot about Border Patrol chases when I'm in Imperial County, that they were common and often unreported back in the 90s. In 1992, one chase began on the freeway in Southern California and ended in a suburban neighborhood near a high school. Six people died, including four teenagers. That crash led to changes in the Border Patrol's pursuit policy. Agents had to stop the chase if the risks outweighed the danger posed to the public if the suspects got away. That policy is still in place today. Earlier this year, a ProPublica and LA Times investigation found that in the last four years, 22 people were killed in Border Patrol chases, and at least 250 people were injured. One six-year-old girl wound up on life support. I wonder what the Border Patrol saw that morning back in 1999 that made them believe the people in the pickup truck posed a risk. And if they were pursuing someone they thought was dangerous, Why weren't those details included in the official accident report? I imagine Ignacio as a teenager, riding in the back of that pickup truck, hiding under suitcases. The road he was traveling was a straight shot from Mexico to California, with few barriers to discourage the quiet agreement between cheap migrant labor and the farmers in the valley. What was the last thing he saw? The last thing he smelled? Did he see the lights of the Border Patrol? Did he notice the helicopter in the sky? Does he remember any of it? Today in room 20, the California sky looks gray through the patio doors. It's late afternoon, when you notice it's time to turn on the light. The radio is on, and there's music playing. Something upbeat from a Spanish-language station. I'm sitting on my black folding chair between Ignacio and his new roommate, Omar, the man who was riding his bike when he was hit by two cars. I'm writing notes on my laptop, like I usually do. Omar hasn't changed his position in weeks. He's staring at the ceiling. I don't know if it's the gray sky or something else about my mood. I wonder why I'm still sitting here in this room. It all feels hopeless. I write in my notes that day. Nothing has changed. And then, something happens. I look up from my laptop and see the roommate, Omar, turn his head toward the radio in slow motion, like if he moves too quickly, something might break. I walk over to his bed and look directly at him. So I'm friends with the man next to you, so I come see him, yeah. I've never really seen Omar's face before. He's always looking up at the ceiling. He has huge brown eyes, and they're open. And then I just noticed you were trying to look up. Do you want to blink once for yes? Are you trying to tell us you're here? He blinks. Blink once if you know your name is Omar. He blinks again. Okay, okay, good job, I saw it, I saw it. Okay, I'm gonna get Ed here, I'm gonna get the nurse here. I text Ed Kirkpatrick. Can you come soon? Must show you something. Next time, Omar is awake, and I go to Ohio and meet Ignacio's sister. What she tells me convinces me someone did know Ignacio's name the day of his accident. This show was reported and executive produced by me, your host, Joanne Ferrien. My senior editor was Susan White. Room 20 was produced by L.A. Times Studios' Clint Schaff and Camila Victoriano, with production support from Neon Hum Media. Special thanks to Sam Tari and Andy Trimlett for production and research help during my reporting. To discover more about the story, go to latimes.com room20.